Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Evan. And welcome to Podstetrics. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Podstetrics. Welcome. So today we're going to be talking about um, antipartum hemorrhage. But before we get into today's topic, um, we just wanted to acknowledge that uh, quite a sour anniversary today, but it is our 200th day in lockdown for Victorians. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, so if you want to celebrate, go ahead, but I'm not celebrating. Um, this is actually, so you might have noticed that we are a little bit delayed and that is because this is actually the first time we haven't been prepared enough to have a podcast at the ready. So every time we've gone in and out of lockdown, we've either taken a week off and had a podcast ready the next week or whatever it may be. But this is the first time that obviously our lockdown's been extended and we are recording this episode over Zoom. And can I just say, it feels really odd recording over Zoom. I don't like not having you near me. <laughs> it feels weird because I can still hear your voice, but I can't see you. I'm, I'm looking at you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> But yeah, it's, okay, it's, so, it's definitely like, what if the vibes are off? Like, yeah, I don't vibing? know. I mean, we're, I think we're trying to do the best that we can do at the moment, I guess. But uh, I guess we better crack on. We start off with a medical disclaimer. So this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. If you do have any queries or concerns, please see your healthcare provider. Yeah, beautiful. So the first thing we'll do is we, we'll, we will start off with a definition of um, APH or antipartum hemorrhage. So APH is essentially bleeding from from or within the genital tract after 20 weeks or until the delivery of baby. So obviously with things like APH, we need to think about at what stage of the pregnancy bleeding is occurring. This is because there are different causes for bleeding in the first trimester and bleeding, say, later on in pregnancy. So if bleeding is occurring earlier on in the pregnancy, we would usually be thinking more along the lines of things like an ectopic pregnancy or miscarriage. So there are really two main causes of APH. And these are two conditions known as placenta previa as well as placental abruption. And they're two things that we're going to be discussing uh, later on in the episode. But first, let's talk about some of the risk factors of APH. So Evan, do you want to take this one? Okay, so one of the most important risk factors of uh, antipartum hemorrhage is abnormal placentation. And here the placental implantation is initiated by the embryo, which then adheres to the uterus. With, a, uh, with placental attachment and growth, the placenta may cover the cervical os, and this is what we don't want. So usually the placenta sits quite high up on the uterus, um, and this is the position that we want it in. We don't really want the placenta covering the cervical os, because then when any kind of contractions occur or when birth occurs, we can have really big bleeding because it's at this kind of point that the placenta is really highly vascularized. Um, another risk factor is things like uh, is something called preeclampsia, which we haven't talked about yet, um, but is one of the hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, um, having first trimester bleeding. Um, the next three things are really all about the kind of stretch on the uterus. So this is for uh, multiple pregnancy. So that kind of increases the use of the uterus itself. Polyhydramnia, so having extra amniotic fluid in the uterus, which stretches it. Um, and multiparity also. Other risk factors are advanced maternal age, a low BMI, smoking, and a past history of um, antipartum hemorrhage. Beautiful. So let's talk about some of the causes of, um, of APH. And the first is placenta previa. So 
Placenta previa is essentially a condition where we have placental tissue overlying or close to the cervical os. Um, in regards to the presentation of placenta previa, so usually we see an absence of abdominal, abdominal pain and uterine contractions. Um, however, the patient can also potentially present with abdominal contractions. The main sign is the presence of a bright red vaginal bleeding uh, during a woman's, a woman's second half of her pregnancy, and this is usually painless. Um, placenta previa is usually determined by ultrasound. As a result of this, we usually do see diagnosis of placenta previa early on, earlier on during the pregnancy. And there are two main definitions of placenta previa. So the first is complete previa, and the second being marginal previa. The definition of marginal previa is if the leading edge of the placenta is less than two centimetres from the internal os, but it's not fully covering the cervical os, if that makes sense. Evan looks, Evan looks a bit confused. No, 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 I'm just listening to you. Okay. Is that why you're confused? <laughs> I don't, I've never like looked at you while I'm talking, so this is a bit weird. Sure. All right, so let's discuss some of the risk factors to placenta previa. Evan, do you want to take this one away? <laughs> well, so previous C-section, previous history of placenta previa, advanced maternal age, and smoking or the use of any illicit substances during pregnancy. Again, placenta previa is usually, usually diagnosed at the 20-week ultrasound scan. And this is the scan that's really used to locate the location, locate the location, to locate <laughs> the position of the placenta. Um, and generally, this is done via transvaginal ultrasound. When someone does have placenta previa, delivery is always with C-section just because the risk of hemorrhage is too great. And generally, this is done at 37 weeks due to this really high chance of PPH. Again, this bleeding presents in the third trimester and is painless. And bleeding occurs with development of the lower uterine segment. Um, and this, again, has to do with the placental attachment because we have thinning here in the area for preparation um, uh, of labor to take place. And then this leads to bleeding. Beautiful. So... The second main cause of things like APH uh, is placental abruption, and this is seen uh, in 20% of women that experience APH. This is opposed to placenta previa, which I didn't mention before, but is seen in approximately 30% of women that present with APH. Um, so placental abruption is a small detachment of the placenta from the uterus and a pooling of blood, which occurs prematurely. So this is essentially a situation where we have limited fetal bleeding, but more bleeding of mum's blood. The scary thing about placental abruption is that it can be concealed. So it may not cause uh, vaginal bleeding necessarily. So 20% of these abruptions are associated with a concealed hemorrhage, depending on the positioning of the placenta. What this means is that blood is essentially is able to pull behind the placenta um, and is not in a position to leak out. We then have the formation of something called a hematoma or a solid swelling of clotted blood, uh, which further separates the placenta from the uterine wall. So Evan, do you want to again go through risk factors of placental abruption? Yeah, sure. So the main risk factors are placenta previa, having a, a previous lower uterine um, segment cesarean section, and an age above 35. Even though, again, we've talked about the presentation, but the main thing is that it's a painful bleed, usually in 80%, and it may be significant enough to jeopardize fetal and maternal health. And this can happen in a relatively short period of time. Um, on examination, we get something called a tender, woody uterus. So, it, you know, it's very, um, the muscles almost contract in the uterus, so it's woody feeling. It may cause contractions, often presents with reduced fetal movements, and it may result in fetal compromise. 
And obviously we would do something like a CTG to look for that. So when you say woody, I'm just trying to think about, because I've never, I've, I've never felt this before, but when you do say woody, do you mean just like a really like solid? Yeah, so like like a table. Okay, a so table. it's just, yeah. yeah, okay, completely solid. So we're talking like like when you're palpating contractions of a woman that's. Yeah, like that. Pretty yeah. much ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Beautiful. So in regards to the management of placental abruption, now this is not my forte, so I am going to call on Evan to take over this one. I will just say, firstly, um, we want to look at the ABC. So we want to call call a code pink and we want to perform resus. And Evan, you go after this. I don't know any sure. of the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. So um, I suppose, yeah. So what we'll start off by doing is a gentle speculum examination to confirm the bleeding. So we want to visualize the bleeding. We don't really want to go for a vaginal exam here just because if there's something like placental previa, um, we may disturb some of the vasculature that's near the cervical os and result in a, in a hemorrhage. Um, it can also be due to lower genital tract bleeding in 45% of cases. So things like bleeding from the cervix, bleeding from the vaginal wall, or bleeding from the vulva. And we can exclude this as well by an examination of the outside of the genitals and then doing the speculum exam. Question. Uh, after this. Sorry, hmm? question. What can cause things like cervical, vaginal, or vulval bleeding? Um, so you can have things like lacerations, actual mechanical trauma. Yeah. Um, you could have something like a cervical polyp um, or kind of like any polyps or, or any infection along the wall that can lead to bleeding. Yeah. Um, and there are other causes as well, which I can't really remember, but those are the two main ones. So it's mainly trauma okay. um, that leads to bleeding. Because I guess with antipartum hemorrhage, a woman may present and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a pool of blood. It could just be literally drops of blood. Yeah. And so then we want to exclude that. Even things like hemorrhoids. Um, yeah. sometimes when you see blood on the bowl, you don't really know, or blood, like, you know, on your, on your underwear, you don't really know where it's coming from. Yeah. So we want to exclude kind of all those causes first. And it's kind of weird how 50%, nearly 50% of the causes are from things outside of the uterus. Yeah. Um, and then after this, we move to, um, our investigations. So we do a, an FBE and the FBE is really to look for signs of infection, but also to look. Um, for changes to the hemoglobin to kind of alert us that, excuse me, to alert the clinician to the fact that there's been long-term bleeding or even, you know, short to long-term bleeding going on. And then we'd also look at the platelets because there's rare things like HELP syndrome, um, which we'll talk about in another episode that can lead to bleeding also. Um, we then want to do a group and hold and cross match of four units of blood, just because often in these cases, um, it can result in hemorrhage. So you need rapid transfusion protocols to be initiated. Um, then we'd also look at coagulations just to make sure that the actual liver itself is functioning well and that there's no bleeding going on because of the liver. And again, that comes back to HELP syndrome. Um, and then if the woman is rhesus negative, we'd want to give 625 international units of rhesus D, which we've talked about last week. And again, the digital vaginal exam should be avoided um, because of placenta previa. We'd also do an ultrasound in imaging, probably... Um, uh, a transvaginal ultrasound, but again, this should be avoided until we kind of know 100% um, what's going on. Not not the transvaginal ultrasound, sorry, the digital exam. The transvaginal ultrasound can be done even in a woman with woman with placenta previa, with a trained technician. And then the last uh, investigation, but the most important, which we do with all the bloods, is the Kleihauer. So the Kleihauer basically looks to see if there's any mixing of fetal and maternal blood. 
and tell us if there's been a bleed. So you would do a Kleihauer to make sure that there's no mixing. And if the Kleihauer is positive, then that's another indication to give anti-D in a woman that's rhesus negative. Amazing. So the things we want to do for baby is obviously if our baby is more than 28 weeks of gestation, uh, we want to perform a CTG. But if baby is less than 28 weeks, we do an ultrasound to look for the fetal heartbeat or to look for fetal heart, to listen for fetal heart sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, in regards to uh, management of antepartum hemorrhage, so obviously we want to perform an examination as well as uh, observations to ensure that mum is hemodynamically stable. Um, we want to give two doses of intramuscular steroids if baby is less than 34 or 35 uh, weeks of gestation. And that's, again, uh, for lung development of baby to ensure that uh, baby has a higher chance of survival considering they are preemies. Uh, we want to do a CTG and an ultrasound to confirm placental location. Um, the next thing we'd need to do is probably admit uh, mum to hospital if bleeding is still occurring or if bleeding is, um, is more than anything that we would consider simple spotting. Uh, we might have to consider an induction of labour uh, if there is no compromise to baby and baby is more than 37 weeks. And lastly, we would probably consider an emergency C-section as well. Uh, Evan, did you want to go through some of the consequences to both mum and baby of antepartum hemorrhage? Yeah, so I guess antepartum hemorrhage where I guess the main thing would be anemia and maternal shock. So anemia because we're losing blood, maternal shock again because we're leading, losing blood. This can then lead to kind of problems with the kidneys like renal tubular necrosis, which is basically death um, of the kidney cells. Um, and then this can also then lead to something called DIC, which is a consumptive coagulopathy, which can cause bleeding. This all then can lead to things like postpartum hemorrhage, a prolonged hospital stay, and really bad psychological sequelae, which can come from a result of that. And because of all this blood loss, often we need blood transfusions, and blood transfusions themselves bring their own complications with them. Um, apart from that, there's also this increased risk of intervention. So an induction of labor and a cesarean section, which you don't really want. Um, in terms of uh, from the fetal side, you're thinking about things that affect the fetus that result from decreased blood supply. So fetal hypoxia, being small for gestational age, having a fetal growth restriction, coming out prematurely. If it's really bad, we can also result in fetal death. Um, and then the need after birth to go to the NICU as well, um, which you don't want. Um, you can also have, because of this kind of blood loss and because of um, breakdown of blood products, um, this neonatal hyperbilirubinemia, which is basically high bilirubin in the blood, which can then go and deposit in the brainstem and cause uh, problems with brainstem development and with baby, which can then again result in significant disability or death. Yeah, beautiful. So that brings us to the end of our APH episode um, for this week. So as always, you can stream our episodes on Spotify, CastBox and Apple Podcasts. Um, and if you were to look up Podstetrics on Google, you'd be able to find us on pretty much all social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah, I remember. Yes. <laughs> um, so just before we go, um, just firstly, I think um, the Zoom thing was definitely different for me. <laughs> it was it was a bit it was a bit weird. There is a bit of. Um, it was different. It, it is hard to record yeah. over Zoom because just because like usually when we record, we kind of go by each other's like body movements and stuff. Yeah. And because over Zoom, there's like one to two second lag. It's a bit hard, but I mean, yeah. I usually do things like I tap Evan when to talk or like 
when I want to. Yeah, sleep. otherwise I just stare off into the distance. <laughs> so it's probably like looking at his phone or something. <laughs> so Evan, pay attention. <laughs> I can't do that over Zoom. <laughs> um, just um, also our, um, obviously lockdown is quite difficult. So our thoughts are with everyone in Victoria as well as New South Wales, as well as I think ACT and uh, Northern Territory are in lockdown. Yeah, I think saying. they're in lockdown as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a bit of a down week for everybody, down a couple of months, down two hundred days for um Victoria. Um, but we will get through it and hopefully it is over sooner rather than later. But yeah, we definitely do wish everyone the best. Um, you know, definitely encourage you to try and get out for your one or two hours of exercise a day. Um, and yes. if you do need help, know that help is always available. You can go and see your GP. There are more mental health care plans available now so that people can see psychologists at a subsidised cost. So I would definitely recommend going and seeing your GP if you are feeling a bit down and think that you might need someone to talk to. Um, and if you are in any time you know, of a mental health crisis, you can always call Lifeline or Beyond Blue as well for help. Yeah. Uh, check on your loved ones. Um obviously in a COVID safe way, but always check on your loved ones and your neighbours as well. But mm-hmm. ensure to look after yourself. But yeah, so that brings us to the end of the episode properly now. So <laughs> like always, I'm Kayla. I'm Evan. And stay safe, everyone. Take care of yourselves. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.